Welcome again to Contrast. On this podcast, we compare and contrast our artistic journeys, creative process, and philosophies on art making. I'm Bethany Granberg, and I'm here with my husband, Josh, and we are both visual artists with very different styles and backgrounds. Hi, Bethany. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Josh? I'm pretty good. How has your week been? It's been all right. Not incredible, but okay. <laughs> better than last week, right? Yes, much better than last week. It was a rough week with lots of different things going on. But we had a fun weekend. We had a baby shower. They yeah. did it in a socially distanced, creative way with a virtual part and an in-person portion. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun. I think everyone else did too. I think I think everyone was just happy to do something yeah. like, with other people. Yeah, whether that was in person with other people or, you know, even the online stuff. We're kind of tired of online Zoom gatherings and things, but goodness, it was kind of fun. And everyone we've talked to afterwards really enjoyed it too. So that's a big thing. Hats off to the people, my sister, Deborah, and Hannah, some couple of friends that did that, planned it. It was great. Yeah, the hosts... The hosts did a great job making it creative and upbeat and enjoyable. I was nervous going into it because I thought people hate Zoom, people hate being on the computer, but I'm just carrying that over from my students and myself. Like the whole the whole scenario is tiring and old at this point. Yeah. But we can make it. We can, and it, it takes just, creativity. It just takes some creativity. <laughs> <laughs> See what I did there? Um, because transitioning. that's our topic for today. Yes, we are talking about creativity again, which we promised we would. If you haven't heard the first episode on creativity, that was episode four, I think. And in that one, we talked about more just what it is and misconceptions about creativity and the difference between being artistic and being creative. Today's more about the, the process. Yes, we are going to get more into practicalities, the steps in a creative process. So I think last time I talked a little bit more specifically about at least some of my creative process. So what about you? Do you have a, I mean, especially as an art teacher, how do you teach a creative process? Yeah. So probably the biggest thing I try and teach is that it is a process that you can be intentional with. And there are steps to take that are fluid. It goes in and out of the different steps. It's not like a linear process. It's not an emotion either. And it's not an emotion. I've thought through some stages of a creative process. Also, I want to give the disclaimer that these are just my thoughts. I'm not putting these steps forward as the official authoritative steps. There's no such thing. So where does it start? Well, <laughs> it starts with the start. My first step. <laughs> Great. <laughs> <laughs> my first step is having a reason to start. Some impetus. In- that's the word. Impetus. Impetus. Like 
the triggering thing. It could be any number of things, and it doesn't have to be the emotion of feeling inspired or excited. Actually, inspiration is not one of my steps that I listed anywhere. Really? That, I think, could come during one of the steps, hopefully sooner than later. But um, what do you think of with the word inspiration when it comes to people doing art? Inspiration. I guess the first thing is like, it's a moment. It's a, like an epiphany, I guess you could okay. say. It's like you get a, an, you know, I guess I could call it an emotional thought, mm. a thought that instills emotion. But it could also be like just an idea. An idea comes to you that um, could even facilitate uh, communication, something you want to say visually. Yeah, so that would be in my category of just the reason, the motivation. So I'm separating out what is motivating you to begin and inspiration being more like the excitement and and maybe the epiphany, like you said, of like having a good idea and being excited about it. Okay, my mind is jumping around too much. So I'm just going to list the steps. I have six of them and then I'll go back. Okay. So the first one is having a reason to start. Number two is the ideation or brainstorming phase, which kind of a subcategory of that would be evaluation and judgment, but that is definitely after initial brainstorming. Um, number three is research and preparing your actual materials. So idea research, any kind of research, and then prepping, prepping your space, prepping your materials. I think that another sub-step under the research and prep would be sketching out the composition or somehow planning the execution of how you're going to go about it. Which really, that could come more under the brainstorming phase, or it could be more mixed into research. Like if you need to look at visuals or examples before figuring out the composition or plan of what your project will look like. Number four would be execution, like actually doing it. And number four might be the only thing that people actually think of as the process. Like you sit down at a canvas and you do something, whatever comes to you, whatever you feel, and then, and then you're done. Um, but that is one of six steps. And then number five is revision and refinement. And then number six is presentation. Oh, okay. So start is a reason to start. That's yeah. number one. And that could be a problem to solve. Okay. It could be a commission Yeah. for artwork. It could be an assignment. <laughs> it could be... It could be a weird dream. You have a weird dream. It could be a traumatic event that you need to process. Okay. And then, then you would be using the art therapeutically, which is not all art, but it certainly is some of it. Or it might be... That you're bored, <laughs> or it might be that um, <laughs> you you have a sudden free day. Like I didn't know that tomorrow is Veterans Day, 
and I have the day off. I didn't know that until 6 p.m. tonight. Then she got very excited. I got so excited. (laughs) (laughs) Happy birthday. And so, you know, the opportunity might be the reason. Or the necessity. Like, I have to make money. If I sell paintings for $2,000 and I want to make $100,000 a year and I only sell 40% of them, I have to paint so many paintings. Wow, that's like a math formula. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do math. I'm getting itchy. Yeah, so any anything that starts you off. I think it's interesting, though, that that could be something that, like, is intentional and comes from you, or it could be, like, I wouldn't say accidental, but... Like, put upon you yeah. by the universe? Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it can just strike, or it can be very intentionally crafted. Yeah, just simply the desire in you to to do something could be the reason, but, but there could be other reasons. Okay. Like I said, these are fluid steps. They may not go in this exact order. Ideation, coming up with ideas, brainstorming. I was never taught ideation. (laughs) Like that there are techniques. It's not that you just have an idea or not. Yeah. So what if you kind of move through, because it seems like the ones after this are are pretty cut and dry, or at least more so. Okay. So you could kind of describe those and come back to like the heart of ideation. Okay, yeah. We'll come back to that because I love that. Yeah, <laughs> and you've helped, me with, you've helped me with that a lot too. I've really enjoyed it. Oh, good. Okay, so research and prep. This reminds me of the first time that I taught. I was doing a long-term subbing job at a middle school actually. And so I was using the other art teacher's curriculum. And she had an introduction to her class involved comparing the creative process to the scientific method. And I'll just read through those. Probably most people are familiar with it. But you start with a question. Um, Number two is research. Number three is forming a hypothesis. Number four is testing the hypothesis with an experiment. And then analyzing the results and then forming a conclusion. And so... I do think that's comparable. It's not exact. You start with a curiosity, maybe, and want to explore an idea that you have. Um, And then you explore it visually. Um, Doing research is... What I tell my students is whether you realize it or not, you are a direct result of all of the art history that has come before us. And so... The styles you like, the subject matter that appeals to you, the way you want to draw things, those are not accidents. And they're not... So you mean taste is not individual? What? (laughs) So it behooves us to know some art (laughs) history, to know like where the trends have come. Yeah, I think you can decide to be more creative If you are aware of those things. Yeah. If you're not, you're more likely to pick more cliche thing, more Mm -hmm. cliche like visuals and ideas. And it's okay to start with those very trendy popular things, but the more the more you do art, the more you can can actually be creative. And that actually brings me to this quote. I just started reading this book on creativity by 
I cannot say the name. Mihai Chinkset Mihai. Yeah, that is not what that word looks like. Mihai, spelled M-I-H-A-L-Y. And I will not spend the rest of this podcast spelling the last name. It's kind of spelled like Chinkset Mihali. We will link it so that you can find him in this book because it's really good. He compares the artist, the creator of a thing to a spark that starts a flame, but there are a lot of other materials and conditions that have to be present for the flame to exist. It's not just the spark. You have to have the fuel. You have to have the fuel. You have to have oxygen. Like there's a lot of other things involved. Yeah. So I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, that's great. Okay. So research be aware of what's out there. Gather inspiration. Maybe this is the point in the process where you would get that inspiration and that excitement. So that's like going on a search engine and typing yeah, something in. And going on up Google, examples. Pinterest. Okay. It might mean talking to people about something. It might mean it might mean self-reflection, even. Like I think there's a lot of oh. different things that could fit in that research category. And then preparing your physical materials. You have to You have to get set up. (laughs) (laughs) And it's really important. Designate a space. It's not going to happen otherwise. Yeah. Or if you have too many distractions. Like for me, I have my computer turned off, my phone on complete silence, airplane mode even, so I can focus 100%. That's part of my personal space. Some people, you know, are playing music and podcasts and stuff Mm -hmm. like this one. As you get in the habit of, of creating you would get to know yourself and what the conditions are that will help you or distract you. Yeah. Physical materials, like maybe you have to go buy something. Maybe you have to research what those materials even are. If it's like a newer medium or like genre that, that you don't do all the time. And then the execution, that is when you start. <laughs> that is when you get it done. dive in, start working, start drawing, or whatever the thing is. And that can be the scariest part. Like, Yeah, just starting, man. That's so huge. I know some artists who they have like strategies to get over the scariness of starting. Like they might put a big swash of paint over the background or just <laughs> paint it a solid like middle tone so that it's not just a white canvas. Yeah, Or good. sometimes I will like, if I'm starting a new sketchbook, I'm like, this is such a beautiful, new, clean sketchbook. And it feels like pressure that I have to do wonderful things in it. So I skip the first page. I don't even draw on the first page. So I'm never like messing <laughs> nice. up the first page of the nice. sketchbook. <laughs> I think for me, I just touch the canvas or the paper. Hmm. I'll just kind of rub my hands on really? it. Just that tactile huh. feeling kind of gets me ready to to do it, to okay. jump in. And it's like a little create. ritual. Yeah. So you could develop your own getting ready to start rituals. <laughs> like this is where it might get hard. <laughs> it might get boring and pushing through those struggles and challenging, like the way Josh described last time about fighting with his painting and it fighting back. That's a good description of that, that you're going to have to wrestle with it. Huh? I get beat up a lot in the Josh studio. Josh gets beat up. <laughs> Another step that I almost put as its own step in the process is actually stepping away from the project. Like if you're frustrated or if you feel stuck, 
you can still step away and be intentional, not just give up and forget about it. A good technique for that is to choose a different creative form to refresh you kind of in that like Like break. Like Legos. Like Legos. That's what I use. I was going to say music. (laughs) (laughs) I use Legos. Whatever gives you life, like something that is fun, but not the same pressure. So maybe it's cooking. Maybe it's going outside and looking at nature. Yeah. So it's something to just re-inspire. There's often, not every single painting, sometimes it just flows and works really well. But a lot of the time in the middle of something, I'm like, I hate this. This is not what I wanted. (laughs) And sometimes I just need to keep pushing. And sometimes I need to step away. You definitely get to a point where you've created enough art that you feel pretty confident that you can figure it out. Yeah, and there's been times where I don't, and I hate it when it's all the way finished. Yeah, that's and true. then that's okay. That's a learning experience. I don't love it, but I know that that is part of the process too. The overall big picture process that includes the process of failing at times, mm-hmm. or or what you might consider failing, okay. and that's good. That's okay. It's not a failure. It's a learning experience. And more than likely, you'll do better next time. Yeah. And just make sure there is a next time very soon. Yeah. So there might be some like tedious parts, frustrating parts. There's so many emotions. I think that is the the stage where you get to know yourself and you, you know, you're confronted with your strengths and your weaknesses and that's healthy. You know, there's a lot of mindless activity available in the world to do that doesn't make you think about anything or yourself or improvement or yeah. life or, you know. That's good for you. Better than spinach. Yeah. <laughs> I just got glared at. <laughs> <laughs> Not better than spinach. Sorry. I like spinach. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. The next step is revision and refinement. This is important. This is what my students often don't want to do. I'm like, just because you kind of could say that you're done doesn't mean you're done. It means you're entering the next stage. It means now's the opportunity to learn. You've gone as far as you can go. Now you learn how to do more. Mm -hmm. And often, if possible, it should include outside critiques Mm -hmm. from others. No, you need to be pushed. So what does the refinement process look like? What does that mean? It means changing things. It means going back. It means erasing. It means starting over maybe completely. Like it might mean that. Yeah. In watercolor, you kind of just have to. (laughs) Yep. My, one of my graphic design teachers, Mr. Adams, used to say, if there's part of the composition that you love, delete it, get rid of it. And if it's essential, it will resurface. It will come back Mm. because it has to. Interesting. Yeah. And that that idea of critique and other people, other artists, non-artists, both I think are very valuable in critique giving. Yeah, definitely. I think going through Florence Academy and getting critiqued constantly by these, you know, world-renowned artists and then come home in the summer and ask my parents to critique it. But I realized you know, my my teachers were critiquing it as an artist my parents were critiquing it as an art lover, as viewers. 
And that's who we create art for. Yeah. Especially like if this is a professional thing for you yeah. or you want it to be, you need both. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And just having multiple perspectives. Like even if selling is not your goal, different kinds of perspectives like help you see things that you would not otherwise see. It reminds me of um, something C.S. Lewis said about how different people bring out different sides of you mm, yeah. and that when a friend dies, the tragedy of that is not just losing the friend, it's losing the part of yourself that only that friend brought out. Yeah. I don't know if that really relates, but <laughs> I feel like it does. Just that different people round you out. So another quote by this Mihai. Good job. He was arguing why having outside input is part of the overall like reality of creativity in a society. He said, in my view, creativity cannot be understood by looking only at the people who appear to make it happen. Um, and then this part is my paraphrase. They need competent outsiders to assess and validate their claims of creativity. And that is more easily explained by thinking about scientists. Like if you're making a scientific discovery, you need other scientists and this whole world of research that preceded you to help validate whether that is a new discovery or not or whether it is valuable um, I think the same thing applies in art making, like not in exactly the same way. So he is definitely looking at big picture, not. Yeah. And I think we should also put in that his book called Creativity is not isolated to fine arts. Mm -mm. It's mathematicians. It's people who like a lot of his research is, is pulling from people who have won Nobel Prizes in psychology and dance and so just like innovators Music. in every field. Yeah. Okay. And so he's saying creativity, which is what we've talked about. Creativity yep. is in all fields. It does apply. Not just fine arts. Yeah. So that's, that's an interesting idea to chew it on. It is. I'm not sure what I think about it completely concerning art. Um, I mean, this idea of of how do you be creative? What is it? What is it? And how, how do you get there? Um People have, people have had so many different ideas about this. And for most of history, before like the Renaissance, most societies saw it as the realm of like the divine bringing the creative inspiration to people, not ourselves being the source of creativity. The ancient Greeks... Um, they thought that creativity was a spirit that would come to them, and they called those daemons. And then similarly, the Romans also thought it was like this disembodied spirit separate from us, and that was called the genius. And the genius would come to you, and they would try and lure it to them and um, be a landing place. In fact, we were watching Grey's Anatomy tonight. Dr. Amy Shepard, Derek's sister, is getting frustrated because she can't think of how to solve this problem of how to get rid of this tumor, this brain tumor. And she's yelling at one of the residents because she's frustrated. And she's like, I, I noticed it because I had been thinking about this episode. 
She said, my genius is like flying around the room and it can't land because you won't shut up. She said to the resident, like, I, I need to be a good like host for the genius to be able to come. And that was this ancient idea, but it's coming yeah, back. It's very much come back with this. I mean, this can get into all kinds of stuff, but mysticism is very prevalent nowadays again. And it's part of it. You know, like we talked about Big Magic, the, the book. Yeah, Elizabeth Gilbert wrote the book Big Magic, and she really, like, kind of holds to that same idea in, like, maybe in a more, like, playful way. But she does talk about that, that she relates to her own creativity more like a separate being who she invites and tries to be a good hostess for and tries to cooperate Woos with. in, she says. Woos in. Yeah. And I mean, I think I think there's something to that. And she says that artists from the Renaissance on have like really hurt themselves by taking on so much pressure of generating all the creative ideas themselves. Oh, interesting. It is interesting. I, I don't know. So Josh and I are Christians, and we have the worldview and the belief that God is the creator and he made us. And so as beings created in his image, like him, we are created to also be creative. And so we have a creative spirit. I think that idea of the the muse or the genius could be comparable to either we are creative because of God's nature in us or the Holy Spirit is creative and partners with us. Or through us. So like, yeah, working through us to help. Interesting. Help us in our creativity. Yeah. Personally, this is like so personal, <laughs> but I, I personally think it's both. I think I am creative myself because God made me that way. And the Holy Spirit also is a helper yeah. to me in that and helps to bring ideas sometimes. Yeah. So we've kind of gone full circle now back to the beginning of where does the idea come from? Is it come from within or come from without? Yeah. In my own creative process, like I have included a lot of prayer in, in the ideation brainstorming phase of just acknowledging God as the creator and asking for help coming up with ideas. Like I'll sit with a sketchbook and, just ask God, let me think of some awesome ideas. <laughs> Real quick, let's go back and just state the stages again. Because we've been jumping around a little bit. So first, you need a reason to get going at all. Number two, ideation or brainstorming. Three, research and preparation. Four, execution. Five, revision and refinement. And then six, presentation. So let's come back now again to that ideation. We kind of skipped over it because there was a lot there. There's been a few times that I've been struggling with how to put together or construct a piece of art. And so Bethany just very straightforward says, well, sit down and sketch out 20 ideas in two minutes. I don't know if it's that, those numbers, but it's like, sit down, throw some stuff out, a whole bunch of them, and then start whittling them down. And it's really, really helpful. That's just one of those ideation tricks that you've really helped me with. Yeah, there's not a magic number. So 
within brainstorming, just a few tips that I have is give yourself a time limit. Make yourself come up with a certain number, like a larger number than you feel like is reasonable. Like 20. Like 20 ideas in five minutes or two minutes. And that could be either in the form of a list of words or in little thumbnail sketches, little drawings. And the importance of setting the time limit helps you not to judge the ideas because it's essential not to judge on the front end. You can judge all the ideas later. If you're trying to judge it and think of ideas simultaneously, you're not going to do either one very well. Like judges in saying this isn't a good drawing or judges in this is a bad idea? Like a bad idea. Okay. This is just the idea. Okay. Not even thinking about composition yet. Another technique for brainstorming is to set apart the time and space in an intentional way, like approach it like a date. Like you're going to make this session special in some way. So you could dress up, you could light a nice candle, you could make yourself a special drink, you could... I do all those things. You do? (laughs) Well, I get a cup of tea. And I put on my, uh, what's it called? The diffuser thing. Oh, okay. Essential oil diffuser. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. (laughs) And Elizabeth Gilbert would say that will seduce the creative muse to come give you good ideas. Um, I think it's good to just kind of trick your brain in a way that this is out of the ordinary. This is special. You have to get out of your own rut in some way. Also, if you have a common thing that you do or a common way that you draw, force yourself to approach it differently. I think if you put value into something, then you're going to get value out of it. Mm -hmm. So if you approach your art by you're getting up, taking a shower, getting dressed go down, have a dedicated space and dedicated time, then you're you're putting value into it and you're going to get value out of it. Just like you would, like you said, going into a date. Mm-hmm. If you go to a date in your pajamas and you haven't combed your hair or taken a shower, it's not going to be a very good date. I mean, yeah. Like obviously they know you don't care about this. Yeah. And just to experience and see and think about things differently. If anyone has seen the movie Big Hero 6, it's a cartoon. It's really cute. He's trying, the main character is trying to get the others to think of new ideas to beat the bad guys. And he said, look at it in a new angle. And like he's like physically hanging upside down the first time that he thinks of that. You can physically, like literally put yourself in a new experience in order to like help generate new ideas. Mihai also says, <laughs> the author of this book, um, he says, it is easier to enhance creativity by changing conditions in the environment than by trying to get people to think creatively. Mm. I thought that was That's brilliant. Deep. I've told students For brainstorming, for homework, sit in a part of your house that you have never sat in. Like maybe there's a (laughs) corner or a place that you have never thought about actually sitting down in. That's great. And once you get in that flow, back to having the ideas in the first place, once they start flowing, they will continue and you will have more and more novel ideas 
than you would have had if you had stopped at three. The first two or three ideas you have will probably be the most obvious ones. And so you want to get past that to get past the less creative ideas or the cliche ideas. Yeah. The great. exception to that might be if your entire like impetus for starting in the first place was having a good idea. <laughs> like <laughs> maybe you have a stroke of brilliance in the shower, but the majority of my ideas have not come that way. They've come when I am sitting down and trying to generate ideas. Let's go to that last stage, presentation. Ooh, yeah, is, we cannot forget about this. It's part of it. So important. I think a big part of art is our drive for human connection with others. Yeah. For validation, for feedback, for for the connection of understanding and enjoying the same thing. And so I don't, I think that we will not feel complete until we have that in some way. Until you present it. Yeah. And the presentation could be any number of things. I mean, if you're a musician, it could be playing it live for people or recording it and putting it out into the digital world to be heard. Or it could be getting something framed. Poetry could be a great one. Is poetry poetry when it's only in a book or when it's read aloud? I would say poetry is when it's read, just like music. Is music music when it's on a sheet of paper or when it's played? It has to be heard. It has to be heard, yeah. Yeah. I think poetry is the same way. For me, it's, and this is something my uh, studio manager, Allison, would say to me, is, and even for myself, you know, we talked about how art should not be precious, because as soon as it's precious, it it can destroy the heart of the the work mm-hmm. because you're not willing to work and, and push. Well, there becomes and change a, things and change things. Yeah. yeah, there comes a place where it must become precious. That's that's when it becomes precious. Is in that presentation. In that presentation. Stage. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's good. I'm listening to another podcast on creativity right now called Createful. You guys should listen to it. Um, But one of the hosts of that podcast is a seamstress. And so she said for her, um, I don't know if she used the word presentation, but like a project, a sewing project for her is not complete until she has put it on and danced around the living room in front of her husband, (laughs) like in her new creation. (laughs) So for her, like that's her finalized, like resolved last step of her creative process. Awesome. Which is cool. For me, it has to be signed, framed, and ready to go on a wall. I mean, it has to have that string on the back. So so that's part of it too, taking pride in your work. It's like there are stages to refrain from judgment and considering something precious, like we said, and there are stages to definitely consider it precious because what you've done is valuable and a part of you So I'm sure there's so much more to say, but those are just some of our tips and thoughts. I think it's just nice to think about the creative process as a process and also something that can be learned. And we're excited for the next episode. We're going to start diving into some of the individual stories behind some of our paintings, the story behind making it and the meaning and impact that it has had. Well, that's it for now. 
Have a wonderful day or night. Thank you.